This is the City of God podcast, where Christ meets culture. Welcome to the City of God podcast. I'm Rob Pacienza, joined by my co-host, John Rabe. On this podcast, as always, we are discussing today's cultural issues all through the lens of God's infallible word. John, so good to see you today. Great to see you, Rob. Uh, you're just back from Israel recently. You had a trip to the uh, the Holy Land, and, and no worse for the wear now. Did you have a good trip? We had a phenomenal time. Awesome. I mean, it is uh, a transforming experience of uh, epic proportions. I mean, to walk where Jesus walked or as they say, to run where Jesus walked because the sights and places to see are endless. Uh, but it was amazing to see uh, what Jesus referred to as the kingdom being a mustard seed, yeah. uh, to be in the place where it all started. Uh, Israel's about the size of New Jersey. And to think that the kingdom of God was born right here, uh, as Jesus declared that the kingdom of God is at hand. And now that it is reached to every nation in this world and to the far corners of the earth, uh, but quite remarkable to see where it all started. I've never had the opportunity myself, but I do look forward to doing that one day while I uh, am still able. And I know no matter where you've been in the world, including a, a great ally and friend of America's like Israel, there's still nothing like after you've been away for a few weeks, coming back home uh, to uh, America, and in our case, Florida, but to come back to the United States where we, we are truly blessed and we have freedom like no nation has ever known. And yet, Yet, uh, we are living in at a time where we are seeing that freedom erode, which is something we're going to talk about today. Absolutely. We're, we're seeing an unprecedented attack on Christians in the public square, uh, Christians that are fulfilling what we believe is their calling uh, that Jesus has given them to exercise their faith in not only private, but in public. And uh, like I said, we are seeing unprecedented attacks and Christians being targeted simply for exercising their First Amendment rights. Yeah, unprecedented in America, certainly. And 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 we really are during, I think this became so clear to so many also during the COVID-19 pandemic where, you know, we all went through these lockdowns for a period, but then you had in numerous states, you had situations where churches were closed down by the government while at the same time, casinos remained open and, and other, other places of business in a nation where we have a First Amendment that guarantees our right to religious free expression, that, that guarantees our right to gather. You could gather at a casino, but not at a church. Absolutely. Uh, it, was, it was amazing. They used the phrase essential businesses, right. I think was the, the phrase, uh, that you, you saw uh, thousands and thousands of people gathering for a Black Lives, rally, uh, Black Lives Matter rally, yep. uh, but they couldn't attend church. Uh, it, it's amazing that we're living in a time uh, where churches are no longer, or other faith establishments, no longer considered essential businesses. It's a scary time we're living in. It is, and that's just one aspect of it. We're seeing more and more examples of of Christians being, uh, and I'm going to use the word persecuted, uh, and I'll explain that here in a second. But, but yeah, but Christians being persecuted f for simply holding traditional Christians. Christian beliefs on things like marriage and gender and sexuality. It's a, it's really a new era uh, 
that we've entered. And, and you know, as we were preparing for this, Rob, I was thinking about, you know, I, I hear this all the time. When you mention the word persecution, people begin to scoff um, because, and, and we admit and we praise God for the fact that Christians in America are not being dragged out of their homes. They're not being beaten in the streets. They're not being, for the most part, violently attacked yet. Uh, however, uh, it's a very truncated understanding of persecution that says that's all that persecution actually is. Um, there's a, a scholar named uh, Emily Gao, uh, spelled K-A-O, who is with the uh, Heritage Foundation. She's a visiting fellow there at the Rich and Helen DeVos Center for Life, Religion, and Family. She's also a constitutional lawyer, a law professor, who's worked in the U.S. State Department's Office of International Human Rights. Um, we've interviewed her a number of times for D. James Kennedy Ministries, and she uh, investigates uh, these issues of religious persecution. And what she has noted is that you have essentially four stages. If you study persecution around the world, religious persecution, you have basically four stages, and they are in order. Number one, social marginalization. That's where it begins. Then economic discrimination. Then legal discrimination. And the fourth step is violence. Well, those are the four steps of persecution, social marginalization, economic discrimination, legal discrimination, and violence. We are currently on step three. And that's, that's, we're going to give some examples of that today. But yep. in those four steps of persecution, we are on step three. So to sit and wait until we get to the point where people are being dragged out of their homes or are being beaten in the streets before we're willing to call it persecution is essentially to concede it and is, uh, is it would be absolute foolishness. John, those four steps are helpful because I think people often hear uh, us describe certain cultural issues, particularly in North America, uh, as uh, the church being persecuted. And they say, well, you're, you're using hyperbole. Right. Or you're, that's extreme to call it persecution. But when you think about the story that we're going to talk about here in a moment, in light of these four steps, you clearly see that persecution is underway uh, for those that hold to traditional values, particularly from a Judeo-Christian worldview. And the point in bringing it out is to stop us from getting to stage four. How foolish it would be to wait until we get to stage four. I also see an irony here because the same people who scoff and say, oh, poor Christian got your feelings hurt, you're not being persecuted, are the same people who claim persecution when their feelings are hurt, when we fail to use the right. proper pronoun or we fail to acknowledge that a biological male is the female that he claims to be, then we are uh, considered hateful bigots and we are considered to be inflicting harm. In fact, you know, one of the things that I asked her about, Rob, uh, Emily Gao, is that, you know, in America, it's different than a lot of places where you've had persecution because we have a First Amendment. Yep. We have a constitution that is set up to protect the religious conscience rights of Christians and people of other faiths as well. Um, she noted that while we have the First Amendment, it's in the process of being subverted. It's being subverted by redefining two key terms. One of them is discrimination, where discrimination once meant in the civil rights movement that people were being denied key fundamental services and needs, um, it's now being redefined to basically disagreement. And then uh, the redefinition of the term harm, you have to demonstrate, you can get around the First Amendment if you can demonstrate that someone is being harmed by activity. Mm -hmm. And so now disagreeing with me or, or failing to affirm my lifestyle or my choices is now being rendered as actual harm, as actual doing damage to me uh, and, 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 and causing potentially 
uh, suicide and and causing mental health breakdowns. And so because of this, there is now on the left what is supposedly a clear and present danger presented even by uh, conservative Christians simply stating their views, uh, which were which have been the Western society's view for millennia now, just by stating those views, you are now committing harm. And so the First Amendment is not proving to be the bulwark that we hope that it will be in the face of charges like Absolutely that. Absolutely not. And as a result, we are seeing in our nation right now a concerted attack upon people of faith, particularly Christians who have a pro-life stance and defending the unborn, which really brings us to our story today that we're covering uh, the story uh, of something that happened uh, back in 2021, and that's concerning Mark Houck. Uh, for those that don't know the story of Mark Houck, uh, Mark is a pro-life Christian. He's also a father of seven. Uh, he is a regular church attender, bold about his not only his faith in Jesus Christ, but also how his faith in Jesus Christ informs his pro-life stance, uh, would regularly uh, conduct peaceful protest outside abortion clinics in a very lawful manner. But it was back, I believe, in October of 2021 that Mark, with his son, I, I believe, correct, mm -hmm. uh, with his son, yeah. was protesting outside peacefully a abortion clinic when uh, someone on the other side, someone who was pro-abortion, uh, repeatedly was attacking uh, Mark and Mark's son uh, with vulgar verbal attacks. And Mark was simply doing what any father would do, uh, defending his son uh, and ended up uh, with an altercation uh, with this individual. And that's where really the story turned ugly. Yeah, that's right. In uh, in then September of uh, the, the next year, you have uh, 25 armed FBI agents showing up at Mark Houck's house. Think about that, 25 agents. And we've seen this kind of thing happening over and over again. In front again. of his seven children. In front of his seven children. We've seen this sort of intimidation tactic as if a guy who got in an altercation with somebody who was, who was spewing you know, vulgar invective at his 12-year-old son on a sidewalk, as if an altercation there warrants you know, this, this massive federal presence. Yeah, but simply defending his son. Exactly. Who I believe was maybe 12 years old at the time. And apparently three FBI agents or four FBI agents can't do that job. You have 25 FBI agents show up at his house in full SWAT gear, the whole nine yards to arrest him in front of his wife and his seven children. And uh, and so, you know, obviously it should not be a federal felony to defend your your son from a, a crazy person. And 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 by the way, it's not as if this this was like some full blown fisticuffs or, you know, he just knocked him to the sidewalk and beat him senseless. It was it was simply uh, an altercation that involved a little bit of shoving, a little bit of get away from my child, Absolutely. as any any father, would any self-respecting father would do. Um, so you'd think it's not a federal felony to defend your son from a, a crazy person, um, but that's what and that's why there was no prosecutor who who was willing to press charges on Mark Hauk at least not on a state or local level. That is until the Attorney General of the United States, Merrick Garland, sent the FBI to raid Mark Houck's house. Take a look at this. On September 23rd, about 6.45 in the morning, uh, that, that's uh, when those 20-so-called so agents, full SWAT gear, uh, heavily armored vests, ballistic shields, helmets, uh, battering ram, uh, banged on my door. 
it's amazing. I mean, it's just such a blatant attack on our First Amendment rights, a blatant attack on the people of faith that are exercising their faith in the public square. And let's make no mistake about the ideological nature of what's happening to Mark Houck here. Anybody knows from the facts of the case, including all of the local authorities involved, that there is no major crime being committed here. He was peacefully protesting. Somebody came up to him, began to verbally assault his son. There became a little there. He got in between and there was a little bit of, of physicality. Yeah. So even even if you would, even if you said that that was a crime, that would be a misdemeanor, you know, the local local crime, which he was not charged with. Absolutely. Uh, and and so you have the Attorney General of the United States who is a, a dyed-in-the-wool ideologue. What's, uh, uh, by the way, this is a little bit of a sidetrack, but when you go to bed every night, at least spare a moment, and, and I know that for some reason uh, with a lot of conservatives, he's not always popular, but spare a moment to thank God for Mitch McConnell because it's Mitch McConnell's work that kept Merrick Garland, who's the Attorney General right now, off the United States Supreme Court. Absolutely. He was nominated by President President Obama, Obama. Yep. and uh, and he would have been on the Supreme Court. Instead, we've got these amazing justices who overruled Roe v. Wade. Uh, but this is a this is a political persecution. There's no way around it. 25 armed, armed FBI agents showing up at the house of a guy who was peacefully protesting an abortion clinic. The only rationalization for that is they want a show of force. They want this on the national news. They want pro-lifers to be cowed. They want pro-lifers to feel threatened. If you stand up for your belief in life, we're coming after you. And we've seen them do that in so many, uh, so many instances where people who hold a conservative biblical like a worldview or suddenly on the on the end of, of rifles. Absolutely. And just to be clear for our audience that might not know the details of this case, what Mark was actually charged with was violating something called the FACE Act, F-A-C-E. And I, I quote, which prohibits, the FACE Act prohibits violent, threatening, damaging, and obstructive conduct intended to injure, intimidate, or interfere with the right to seek, obtain, and provide reproductive health services. I mean, mm -hmm. talk about a loaded right. phrase, um, and you could just pick that apart. Um, and it, it, what's interesting is that uh, Mark and his son were doing nothing of the sorts. Right. Uh, they were not uh, uh, committing any crime. They were not trying to injure, intimidate. They were not trying to violently uh, stop people from entering a, an abortion clinic, simply exercising their First Amendment rights, simply exercising the freedom that they have in Christ to exercise their faith in the public school. Square and also trying to uh, peacefully conduct a protest that hopefully uh, ministers to moms and dads that are facing unplanned pregnancies, but did nothing of the sorts that would actually violate the FACE Act. Yeah. And thankfully... He was acquitted of all those charges, but not after the FBI, as we've just already learned, uh, uh, forcefully and violently entered their house in front of their children. And by the way, what a lot of people don't know, uh, Mark all along um, volunteered to appear before uh, the court uh, and and to deal with this head on. He wasn't resisting. He wasn't trying to uh, flee or evade uh, the the justice system. Uh, but even even with the uh, 
um, uh, the initiative to appear before the justice uh, and appear before the court of the law of the land, uh, they still, uh, the DOJ, uh, violently and and used uh, the FBI to um, uh, to forcefully enter uh, the Halk residence. And you and I, especially you in your, your capacity as a pastor here in Fort Lauderdale, you personally know people who've been on the receiving end of this sort of treatment, essentially for their political convictions, people who've been raided by the FBI, people who, now again, these are people that held rather prominent political positions and so forth. It, it isn't just, um, it, usually it's not just an average citizen, but here we have a case of an average citizen who's facing this. And there was there was no obstruction at the clinic. They weren't even peacefully trying to keep people from going in. They were, simply, they were simply out there. They were to minister yeah. counsel. And like I said, even when he was arrested, volunteered to appear before uh, in court, uh, you know, trying to uh, avoid any uh, further prosecution. And it's interesting that you said that this is not just an isolated incident. Uh, I believe it in uh, October of 2022, 11 pro-life activists were charged with violating this so-called FACE Act uh, for simply uh, peacefully protesting a Tennessee abortion clinic. So uh, this is not something that just happened to uh, Mark Halk and his family. Uh, this is happening all across America. You, Rob, you and I have both been part of peaceful protests like that, uh, standing out in front of a clinic, not obstructing anyone, but uh, literally standing out in front of the clinic and 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 singing hymns uh, and praying. And and you can only imagine in in such a group there there are parents, there are young children, and and you can imagine it being raided by some uh, some armed federal SWAT team for for simply doing that. It's it's absurd, and and that's the key though that you mentioned is that this is not isolated. We're starting to see this sort of thing happen more and more. We are nearing that last stage of violence. And let's be clear: twenty five armed people show up at your house. Well, yes, they are part of the they are the magistrate. They are part of the federal government. But armed people showing up at your house, fully loaded and with body armor on, you are at least you are involved in a potentially violent situation. Absolutely. And so we're very, very close to that. I mean, thankfully, uh, Mark, even then when the FBI raided his house in front of his seven children, even then he didn't resist. Yeah. But imagine if he did. Right. And uh, not understanding what is kind of taking place, uh, wondering if his wife and his children are, uh, you know, now at risk. I mean, what if he would have resisted? I mean, this to potentially could have been incredibly violent. And what we're seeing here, and I think that's the bigger story uh, that really needs to be paid attention to by the people of God in North America, is we have a president who has appointed an attorney general general that is using the Department of Justice and the FBI uh, to be serve as a weapon and a threat against people of faith, particularly those who have a pro-life, uh, pro-human uh, life from the moment of conception stance, uh, all because they believe that the word of God informs their view of when human life begins at the moment of conception. 
deception. And so we are living in dangerous times in North America right now. Dr. Kennedy was warning about this two decades ago and, and the, the ministry he founded doing the same uh, when we talked about hate crime laws, that again, these were the sorts of things that were going to be used uh, to punish people who had a wrong view, who had a view that was considered to be uh, against the, 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 uh, the prevailing sort of popular fashionable view now. And that's exactly what we see happening. It's not just pro-lifers. It's happening on the gender front. It's happening yep. on the, the marriage front. We have seen, uh, you know, I mention him frequently just because it's such an egregious case, but Jack Phillips in Colorado, the baker who politely declined to uh, bake a cake for a same-sex wedding. And, and you only have to think about this for a moment to recognize the important right that is involved there. If uh, a, a Christian runs a, a bakery and someone says in, I, I comes in and says, hey, I would like you to bake a cake for Satan's birthday. I would like you to bake a cake that says, uh, you know, I, I worship Satan. We, you, you would or at least should have the right to refuse to do that. Um, and so Jack Phillips declined to make things, uh, cakes celebrating that, which with, with which he disagreed, including for same-sex marriages. He, he's been prosecuted over and over by the Civil Rights Tribunal in the state of Colorado. The Supreme Court said, "Your first, his First Amendment rights are being violated egregiously. And so they ruled in his favor. And immediately the next day, the state of Colorado and the activists there start it up again. This is about intimidation. And Mark Houck's attorney, uh, Peter Breen of the Thomas More Society, who does great work on religious liberty, said, quote, this case is being brought solely to intimidate people of faith and pro-life Americans. Yeah, and, and John, we shouldn't be surprised if you remember just a few months ago, uh, the anniversary, the 50th anniversary of Roe v. Wade, both the president of the United States and the vice president of the United States made remarks that they wanted to assure all Americans that we will spare no expense uh, to protect, quote unquote, reproductive rights for all women in America. Yeah. And so make and no mistake. Yeah. Make no mistake, this is an example of sparing no uh, no expense uh, to protect reproductive rights, whatever that means, really to a pr protect a pro-abortion uh, agenda in North America in the 21st century. And the irony of ironies is we don't have a president or an attorney general or a DOJ that will pr prosecute violent criminals, but we will have a president, an attorney general, and a DOJ that will prosecute people for simply exercising their faith in the public square. Absolutely. And and that gets us to a, a fundamental uh, piece of evidence here as well, because you can see their ideology at work in the wild double standard that's being applied. People may not even, people listening to us may not even know that there has been over the last couple of years, over the last year or two years, there has been an unprecedented level of violent attacks on pro-life pregnancy centers, among others, literally, where they've been set on fire, where they've been burned, where they've been shot at, yep. um, an unprecedented number. And no, the, as far as I'm aware, the government is doing virtually nothing to track down what ought to be federal crimes, to doing nothing to apprehend or to uh, to even solve these cases. Oh, the opposite. The political left yeah. and the cultural left simply turn the other way. Yeah, and yet we have time and resources to go haul Mark Houck out of his his home for uh, essentially pro peacefully protesting a pro-life, or a, excuse me, a, an abortion clinic. Yeah. Uh, Rob, Senator Mike Lee of U 
Utah, an excellent uh, senator and an excellent on this issue of religious liberty, uh, recently was questioning the Attorney General Merrick Garland about this enormous discrepancy where you have people attacking pregnancy resource centers and churches who are basically going unpunished or unsought even, and on the one side, and then those uh, who are protesting abortion clinics on the other side who are being prosecuted, who are being dragged out of their homes with uh, 25 federal agents armed to the teeth. Uh, Merrick Garland's response to Mike Lee, in my opinion, was uh, truly laughable, albeit tragic. Let's take a look at that. DOJ has announced charges against 34 individuals for blocking access to or vandalizing abortion clinics. And there have been over 81 reported attacks on pregnancy centers, 130 attacks on Catholic churches since the leak of the Dobbs decision, and only two individuals have been charged. So how do you explain this disparity? We apply the law equally. Um, I will say you are quite right. There are many more prosecutions with respect uh, to the um, um, blocking of the, uh, um, of the abortion centers, but that is generally because they are, uh, those actions are taken in, uh, with photography at the time, um, uh, during the daylight, and uh, seeing the person who did it is uh, quite easy. Um, the, those who are attacking the pregnancy resources centers, uh, which is a, a horrid thing to do, are doing this at night um, in the dark. Amazing. I, I, I mean, it, it is. It's it's tragic, but it's also laughable. I don't know. Do you hear what the attorney general is saying there? He is saying, "Hey, we can't go after these people. They're doing it at night. They're really hard to see. There's not enough light for us to be able to find them. This is the chief law enforcement yeah, officer ridiculous. in the United States. It's ridiculous. It, it, you know, it's scary, John. I recently heard a prominent pastor in North America say that abortion is now a thing of the past. That really was our parents and our grandparents' issue. We need to move on. There's bigger fish to fry, basically, uh, when it concerns the the evangelical church in North America. Wow. And what we're doing, it's this uh, just turning a blind eye to what they are doing and what the president of the United States and the attorney general and the DOJ are doing uh, right before our very eyes. And to, to say that abortion is no longer an issue of concern, um, I think this example with Mark Houck and all the other examples of how uh, pro-life uh, act activist and pro-life pregnancy centers are being attacked all across North America uh, just flies in the face and is just completely contrary to the sentiment that abortion is not something we need to be worried about anymore. This is, make no mistake, uh, the current, uh, whether it's the political left or the cultural left, this is still one of their biggest issues, if not the most important issue, to protect what they call reproductive rights uh, in North America. America for all women. And we are seeing the same thing begin to happen on gender now as well. So those who hold to what was the established, uh, you know, obvious conclusions just a few years ago, now holding those, you will be uh, potentially uh, prosecuted. And again, remind people of Emily Gao's four stages of religious persecution. First is social marginalization. You feel uncomfortable. Your, your views are made to seem obscure. Then there's economic discrimination. They start to cut off the 
the money. Then there's legal discrimination. That's what we're talking about now when we we have abortion clinics, uh, you know, people peacefully protesting or being uh, are being arrested, and at the same time, churches and and pro life pregnancy centers are being attacked, and the government does nothing. That's legal discrimination. The ne- the final of the four steps is violence. So, Rob, I have a. It's really the same question, but as it regards two different groups of people, although related groups of people. You are a pastor of a, of a major congregation here in Fort Lauderdale at Coral Ridge. Speak to other pastors on this. What should a pastor's role? And then I'm going to ask you about the church, uh, the, 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 the layman, the Christian in the pew. What do we do? But, but pastor to pastor, where do pastors need to be on all these issues? Well, pastors need to wake up and realize that abortion is not a thing of the past. Uh, just because of the Dobbs decision back in June of 2022, I mean, that is a victory that should be celebrated by pastors and pro-life pro-life activists all across the nation. Uh, but the the battle continues uh, to not only make this issue in North America illegal, but to make it unthinkable. And as we've already said multiple times, this is uh, one of the major issues, if not one of the biggest issues of the political and cultural left. So pastors need to wake up and realize that they have a responsibility and they have accountability before Almighty God to continue to preach on the great uh, moral and cultural issues of the day and to continue to preach a pro-life message uh, to continue from the Word of God, uh, informing their congregations that life begins at the moment of conception, that all people without exception are created and conceived in the image of God. That's what gives every human being uh, inherent worth and value and dignity. And if there is a, not a uh, more pressing issue uh, than abortion, I don't know what is. And so pastors need to wake up, speak truth in this culture moment and call their people in their congregations uh, to not only exercise their faith in private, but to exercise their faith in public. And that exercising the faith in public is really, I think, a key part of the issue here. And Absolutely. it seems to me that pastors are going to need to, as as they do those things that you talked about, are going to need to communicate and instill from a biblical perspective courage, because it's, it's unusual. We Christians have not been in a situation in the United States generally where we are on the opposing side from the government where we are seen as sort of unwelcome. And so standing up to that requires some courage. So uh, talk a little bit then to the the lay Christian who is a member of a church who feels that these issues are important, but is also sort of trying to get a sense of where are we at here and what's called for for me. We know that Christians are not to go out to be violent. We are not to go out and, and you know, and, and to, to attack people. So what do we mean when we say be courageous? What should a Christian stance be in these times? Absolutely. Well, I think it's important to note that when the, our founding fathers in America were crafting the, uh, you know, our founding documents, that uh, they weren't just randomly putting amendments together <laughs> on a piece of paper. There's a reason the First Amendment is number one, right. because they understood, informed by a Judeo-Christian worldview, uh, they understood that the free exercise of religion is foundational to a free and flourishing society. And and we need to remember, it's the free exercise of religion. They were not simply protecting us to ensure that we would be able to have freedom of religion, which basically means we have the freedom to believe what we want to believe, but the free exercise of that religion. There's a major difference. Uh, we can believe whatever we want to believe. The question is, does the government protect us and ensure our rights to exercise that freedom in both private and public? And Christians need to understand the importance of that First Amendment right, because that 
First Amendment right, which we can see in this current story, is another example of how it's slowly eroding away in North America. When that First Amendment right of exercising your faith in public is taken away, then all bets are off. Then we truly are in a pure totalitarian state. We truly are in a purely secular state. And think of the ramifications. Not only does it prevent the right to peacefully protest and exercise our faith in public concerning the pro-life issue, but all sorts of issues, the freedom to preach boldly uh, from the pulpit, the freedom to exercise your faith in the workplace and in the public square, the the, the freedom to share the gospel and to witness to your neighbor. Um, these are all the examples of purely secular and purely totalitarian states that we need to learn in history what has happened and begin to see it happening here in droves uh, throughout North America. I think that's really well said and well argued because we don't want to seem to be just another aggrieved special interest group who wants our piece of the pie. Hey, let us have our special rights. This really is about defending everybody's rights because Absolutely. that's what the Constitution does. The founders did not envision a purely Christian public square, but they did envision a religiously plural public square yes. uh, where everybody had the right to exercise their faith in public. And what we're seeing now is what uh, John Newhouse talked about back in the 80s, a naked public square. So instead of a religiously plural square, uh, public square, uh, we have a religiously naked public square uh, where freedom of religion and the free exercise of religion is no longer welcomed. Once again, when we have the attorney general and the DOJ um, using their force and their power to silence and cancel and arrest people simply for exercising their faith in the public square, we are certainly living in perilous times. And look at what's happened to nations that have banished uh, religious issues, have banished God from the public square, have been have enforced secularism. Look at what happens to freedom in nations like that, and you see it's it's not a pretty picture at all. One, one final thing, Rob, because I know we need to wrap up, but um, Christians have rightly internalized the scriptures that talk about us being subject to the governing authorities, and that is a, an important point. We have we Christians are to be the best citizens Absolutely. of anybody. Um, but I think we also saw during the pandemic that there's a point where um, being subject becomes simply subservient and becomes uh, a, a failure of courage and a failure of our other obligations. So w at what point are we subject to the governing authorities? And at what point do we have to stand up and say, well, you're out of line here? John, I'm glad you asked that question. Although Christians in North America have never faced persecution like they're facing now. Uh, we do remember that it's not the first time the people of God have faced persecution historically. So we need to have a long view of history, and we need to look back and see how have the people of God responded historically when there has been persecution, particularly persecution that is being brought on by the state. We need to look back at the Protestant Reformation. Uh, what were they doing in the Protestant Reformation? They were talking to the established church at the time and the state that you have no right to bound our conscience, that scripture alone bounds our conscience. So we need to learn from those examples of the Martin Luthers and the John Calvins and the John Knoxes and all of the reformers of the Protestant Reformation that boldly exercise their faith in the public square, even against uh, the will and the desire of the civil magistrate at the time, because mm -hmm. they refused to have their uh, freedom in Christ limited and their free exercise of religion limited just because the state said so. We can 
can look back at the first few centuries of the church uh, against uh, the totalitarian state of the Roman Empire uh, that was trying to silence, cancel, and eradicate Christianity um, from the earth. And what did we see? Once again, Christians boldly standing up for their faith. Uh, go back to the Babylonian captivity. Uh, we saw uh, the people of God exercising their faith in the public square, refusing to bow down to the forces of evil that were uh, being uh, mandated from the state and the, uh, the the refusal to bow down to the cultural idols of the day. They always did it in a peaceful manner, whether it was Babylon or Rome or the Protestant Reformation, but nevertheless, they took their stand because their conscience were bound by Scripture alone. So we need pastors and lay people sitting out in the pew on the weekend that say, no, we refuse to allow our consciences to be bound by anything but the Word of God and understand and remember that Christianity has always been a force to be reckoned with uh, for the common good and for the flourishing of all people when they had the freedom to exercise their faith in mm. the public square. We also need to remember this last point. Elections have consequences. And so the same Christians that are outraged by the story of Mark Halk and how his family was attacked um, can't also, in the same breath, say that Christians should not be involved in politics. Elections have consequences. Right now, we have an elect the consequences of an election where an attorney general has been appointed by the president of the United States that is allowed to weaponize the DOJ and the FBI against people of faith. So no longer can we sit back and not engaged in the it's in the process of politics and government in the nation. We need to be bold witnesses in both private and public, but understand how our faith influences politics in this nation. Amen to that. Well, Rob, this is a, as important a topic as there is to look at, and we'll be doing other podcasts dealing with issues like this because there's just simply nothing more. How do we live as Christians in 21st century America right now? That really is the question that's pressing down on all of us. Absolutely. John, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. It's always my pleasure. Thank you once again for listening to the City of God podcast. Uh, this is a weekly podcast, so make sure that you are going back and viewing and listening to all previously recorded podcasts at cityofgodpodcast.com. As always, please uh, find our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you listen to podcasts, and make sure that you watch the video version on our YouTube page. Please, if this uh, podcast was informative, encouraging uh, to you, uh, and you have friends and family members that want to listen to how we can approach today's cultural issues from a biblical worldview, please make sure uh, you tell them about this podcast and pass this podcast along to them. Thank you once again for joining us on the City of God podcast, where we weekly look at today's cultural issues through the lens of God's word. Thank you for joining us and may God richly bless you.